Hi friends, I'm Felicia. And I'm Diana. And we are the Base Body Babes. And I'm Sebastian, otherwise known as the Australian Strength Coach. Hey everyone, welcome back to Base, the podcast. Today we have the pleasure of talking with one of the greatest minds in our industry. He has a PhD in sports science. He is the author of several books, including Glute Lab. He is the inventor of the hip thruster and a coach who specializes in training women. He's famously known as the glute guy. Please welcome Brett Contreras. Oh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Now, for um, our audience, I'm sure a lot of them know who you are and have heard about you, especially uh, because we specialize in training women as well. We are sure lots of the girls that we train have heard of the glute guy. Mm -hmm. But can you please share a little bit about who you are and how the glute guy was born? Well, first, before I get started, that I got to congratulate Sebastian here. uh, That (laughs) Thor's... 1100 plus pound deadlift it's like heard around the world so congrats on that i know you're his coach so i wasn't expecting it to go there but man i'm I'm really chuffed thank you so much it's been a big week for us over here for sure i like to think of myself as a big guy like 250 pounds and uh he's 450 pounds is that true 450 pounds for this event yeah he's it's hard to compare anything with this guy he's just a human (laughs) he pretty much takes up the whole screen like if (laughs) if we were talking to him yeah i would feel like a a little no you actually look quite big i was i'm surprised yeah you're big i'm tall people always say on my instagram they're like or like they see me and they're like whoa you're a lot taller than i thought i'm like what do i look like a little like short guy on my instagram (laughs) (laughs) how tall are you Six four. I don't know. All oh, right, you are tall. I remember when I came to visit you in San Diego. I literally came up to your belly button. <laughs> yeah. So what is that in centimeters? That's one hundred ninety three centimeters. That, we, we talk that's feet. What we you talk feet. We, we talk inches and feet as well. Yeah. When it comes to height. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so that's, that's, a t- that's a tall guy, but yeah, definitely. When anyone's standing next to Half Thor, he, he makes you look like a midget. So <laughs> we all stand united in that one. <laughs> So about me, um, the, the, I'm, I'm speaking in my gym in San Diego. Uh, yep, got, I consider myself a lifter first because I still, I'm 43 years old, but I'm still going for gains myself. I still experiment with my training. I try new things and I'm always wanting that, wanting to be a little bit more jacked, a little bit stronger. It gets harder and harder. He's been training longer and longer, but I'm still setting PRs, you know. And then a coach second, I coach tons and tons of women and tons of both in real life and online. And then a scientist third, uh, you know, I, I pride myself on trying to be evidence-based and read research, but I don't always agree with all the, the researchers. Like they're more like by the book, like I feel like to be evidence-based, it means consider everything. You don't just assume there's, well, we, that's not evidence. There's, it's not a published study on it. It's like a, a study finally came out showing squats built the glutes. Before that, there were like no studies. So can we be like, well, we, there's no evidence that squats build the glutes. There hasn't been a published paper on it. It's like, obviously they build glutes. Look at powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters. So I can, I, I base a lot of my knowledge on, I feel like a third of your knowledge is what you learn is your, on your own in the gym, training on your own. A third is what you learn training other people. And then a third is what you learn, like reading and listening to podcasts and talking to other coaches and 
you have to, you know, you have to do all of them in order to maximize your understanding. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I definitely think it's good to have an open mind and not just be be ruled by science. Um, you just said a third, third, third. Something that we've uh, heard you speak about is your rule of thirds, and I think that's something that we want to get to later on. Um, but before <laughs> be, we, before we ask you for your philosophies on your rule of thirds, um, how did you come about to be the glute guy? Like, is it a marketing thing, um, or is it uh, just the, the body part that you want to specialize in? So, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, I was so insecure. I had no butt. I remember being in high school and uh, I, I had a crush on these three girls. They were like three of the more popular girls. And they're like, hey, let's go watch football practice. I love looking at the guys and the butts in their football outfits. And I'm like, great, I'm going to be a virgin for life. <laughs> they care about glutes. I'm done. And then, uh, and then I was playing golf with my sister's boyfriend and he's like, I, remember, I still remember on the ninth hole, I'm bending over to swing, and he's like, you know, Brett, you have no butt. It's like your back just goes, <laughs> like, missing that, that, like, protuberance is supposed to stick out. And I'm like, man, why is it still so comfortable? Like, would you be, like, in the locker room and be like, hey, buddy, you have no penis at all. It's like a, just a little nub, you know? Oh <laughs> it's a brutal. Little nub. <laughs> yeah, but, but the, br- the, br- the brutal honesty in it, just saying it just so matter of fact, not even worrying that it's going to be a little bit offensive. That's, that's pretty offensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Well, I remember being like, at that time, you know, being 16 years old and like lanky, I had been doing lifting weights, but I did, you know, my routine was like, I had a little barbell set and I did military press. I did push-ups, I did curls, I did calf raises, I did crunches, but I didn't do anything for my back or legs. Like I didn't, <laughs> I couldn't do chin-ups. I couldn't do dips and I could, and I tried squatting and I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. I just don't, I, I wish I knew that then what I know now about progressions and things like that. But uh, I remember thinking, okay, like, I wish there were like, I ha- I'm getting lines under my pecs from doing push-ups. I wonder if I could start building my glutes, but I don't feel a lot of these ex. Like I, I remember doing deadlifts and just, I, 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 if I had a video, it would have been like a YouTube classic, like the round back. I just, I would feel them all in my back and just do complete round back deadlifts. I mean, this is, we're talking like 1992 here. We didn't have the internet back then and we, we, you know, you just learn by doing and watching other people and trying to read muscle mags. So I started studying the glutes and I remember being like, why don't bodybuilders have, they never mention glutes. It's like, you seriously, you, they, every other body part gets isolated. You, you have trap, you train your traps, your delts, all three heads, your biceps, your triceps, your pecs, your lats, your erectors, your abs, your obliques, your quads, your hamstrings, your calves. The only missing thing there is the glutes and, they, and, wow. and it was like no you don't ever have to like bodybuilders have a leg day you had like your chest day your back day your shoulder day your arm day your leg day but it was always legs or quads and hamstrings the no male glutes. bodybuilder ever talked about glutes. <laughs> so i would read what they would do for i'd be like you know i'd go to the go to the like i remember being 16 going to the store and checking out the muscle mags and being like, what does Ronnie Coleman do for his glutes and or for his legs? Cause he has big glutes. And then I, I remember being 19. And so we're talking 23 years ago, my cousin bought me a book. It was something like the complete guide to button leg development. I still have it, but I was like, this is awesome. Why, why'd you get it for me? He goes, cause I've never met someone so obsessed with the glutes. Mm-hmm. And that was 24 years ago. And I'm still 
just as passionate to this day. I'm just glad I'm not, you know, stick man anymore. So, um, something interesting about um, the way your name pops up a lot in in what I've been doing. I mean, I've been in the industry for 17 years, which, by the sounds of it, uh, nowhere near as long as you. But, um, you know, I've mainly my my clientele is based on performance and. When people want to get good at a certain movement, we practice that movement extensively. In in my world, it's usually based around powerlifting, squats, bench press, deadlift. And um, I'm also an educator. And the way that I educate my audience is by teaching them what I do best. I don't want to teach them uh, stuff that I don't do. It just doesn't make sense. But I, I very frequently get the question of, okay, well, what, what about us who wants to have an aesthetics goal and, and you know, a body part in particular... Uh, with the females that is extremely important uh, and popular as you completely know which is why you've based your business around it is is glute development and the reason why I promote uh, the work that I do is because that's the work that I do like I know that squats develop the glutes and I I see a lot of amazing squatters with great glute development so that's the way that I teach it and people see it as oh you must be against uh, Brett Contreras because he's got a differing opinion I think uh, I I don't know if he's got a differing opinion I'm going to find that out now but I don't think that it's a different opinion I just think he's got different audience and different goals with what he wants to achieve with his exercises just recently I did a seminar it was a female only seminar and a study just came out discussing the benefits of of squats versus uh, hip thrusters saying that uh, the squat was superior for developing uh, for increasing hypertrophy than the hip thruster, uh, contrary to, to previous belief. And I thought, okay, well, that's pretty cool because if someone came to me, and I know that I work very closely with, with Felicia and, and Dinny, they've got the female-only business, and we actually incorporate a variety of different exercises, not exclusive to squats and, and not exclusive to glute bridges either, but we include b- both. But it was definitely something that I wanted to know the answer. And someone put their hand up and said, this was literally the day that it came out, and they said, Brett Contreras actually um, disputed the study. And I thought, oh, I didn't have a chance to hear what he had to say. Uh, but now that I've got you face-to-face, face instead of reading about it i'd love to hear your opinion what are your thoughts i'm sure you've read the study what are your thoughts on the study okay so this uh, this is a uh, gonna be crazy for you guys to hear because and this it, what's really sad about this is that like you know when you read a study like you just assume it's legit like that's what we all do we're like this is like was really performed and um so here's an interesting thing never in my life have i ever suspected that a study was fake until this Barbalo, Mateus Barbalo is the author of that study. Mm-hmm. A couple years prior, he published a volume paper and it showed that five, doing five to 10 sets a week was superior than doing 15 to 20 sets a week for like different muscles in the body. And I, like, so bodybuilders are all doing it wrong. Like, uh, but I, I looked at this study and it, I, I, you know, I, I, I discussed the study with my staff, my, like my trainers and everything. I showed them it and I printed it out and all of a sudden I'm looking at the data and I'm going, holy crap, like this isn't how, like I've published, I've been, I've published 50, 50 or 51 studies now. Wow. Data doesn't ever look like this. It's never this neat. So I called up my friend James and I'm like, James, this is fake. This study's fake. This was two years ago. I go, this study's fake. And he's like, oh, I'm like, look at it. Nothing's ever this neat. I called a couple of my friends and they're like, well, I, you know, I go, can we sh- prove that? Is there a way to show that it's fake? And they're like, I don't know. And then, then of course, you know, this, there's so much to talk about, but of course this study was published and I look at the authors and it's Barbalo and this Paulo Gentile, who's his, his professor. Now Paulo Gentile has bashed hip thrusts over and over. 
And when this was published, he comes out on Instagram and he's like, I am the greatest researcher of all time. Like it's bizarre. So I start looking at the study and I'm like, this, this is fake. There's no way that, okay. So it looked at, I have, I wrote a response in my friend, Alan Aragon's research review. I was going to publish it on my blog, but some stuff happened and I was told to hold off on it. Okay. So I never public posted on my blog. I intend to, I, I want to, but, uh, I pointed out everything from like a, my experience as a trainer. I'm not this statistical whiz. It's funny. I taught math, high school math for six years. I'm really good at algebra and geometry and trigonometry, but I'm not good at stats. I hate stats. My, I have colleagues that are really good at stats. I'm not that good at stats. So I can't pick this thing apart from a statistical perspective, but just from like knowing about training people, I mean, I found so much stuff. And then I started going through other, the, uh, other studies that they had. And Sebastian, you'll appreciate this because they took, so they took squ- like female, Brazilian female lifters. And they, these lifters had like, first of all, they were like stronger. Like they gained 70, they gained like 75 pounds on their squat in, was it was it 12 weeks just squatting one day a week? And these were, they were already squatting like 205, 205 pounds. And then they went to 280 pounds in 12 weeks of squatting one day a week. And I'm like, I've never had a client gain set like a, like someone who could already squat like 205, go to 280. I've never had someone gain that much strength so quickly if they were already proficient. But if you're, their squat was already like stronger than their hip thrust. And, um, I'm going, if you were, or like, if you were like similar in strength with your squats and hip thrusts, like you can, everyone is way stronger at their hip thrust than their squat. Now, maybe like some people you work with, Sebastian, aren't like that, but you work with the biggest freaks. I train like the normal people, like <laughs> could Thor hip thrust a thousand pounds. Maybe if he worked his way up to it, I don't think he cares it's enough. Some, but my it's point something is, that I haven't tested yet on, on any of my high level athletes. So I can't even give you an answer. Mm. I know that uh, uh, um, Big Z loves his hip thrust. Yep. But he loves that. Um, those those guys have like giant legs. Most women, they they are way stronger with hip thrust. Like you might say, a typical woman, you know, is a strong lifter, has proficient experience in all three lifts. They might be able to squat two hundred pounds, you know, deadlift, you know, two two fifty, two seventy five, and hip thrust like four fifty or five hundred. Like that's just the way it is. So I already was like looking at all this stuff and I'm like, man, this is bizarre. Then I look at another study and it was like from the same weird protocol, these men could, these men had a 10 rep max bench press of gosh, this was so long ago. Anyway, in 12 weeks of benching one day a week with just two sets, they gained a third of their body mass on the bench press in. So it was like, okay, so if I was to do that, the most I've ever bench pressed is 355 pounds, right? So my 10 rep max is, is 275. So it'd be like me just benching two sets a week for 12 weeks. And then all of a sudden I can bench a third of my body weight, which is 80 pounds, 80 some pounds, which would be like me benching 355 pounds for 10 reps. Think about benching your one rep max for 10, 10 now. That will never happen in 12 weeks. Never happen ever so in the- my case. <laughs> Never happen ever. You know that. So I, I would never risk my professional reputation and say this study's fake. I know from a, 
from a statistical standpoint, it just doesn't add up. It, I believe that this study is fake in addition to other studies are fake. What I want to know is why. Why would they do this? But uh, yeah, if I was wrong about that, that every researcher was, would lose respect for me. I'd be the talk of the town. Uh, but I have reason to believe that it's a fake study. So I believe if we did the actual study, I think hip thrust would would win. I, I think it's funny. I want to show you this protocol too, Sebastian. It's like this weird, I'm going to pull this up. It's this weird protocol. And it's funny because uh, I feel I had my niece do the protocol. So, so you, you do. Are you uh, going to try and test it based on this? Beyond just I'm not going to read. I'm not going to reproduce the study, but okay. No. Oh, it's tw- 24 weeks. Okay. So week one, five, nine, they did, okay, week 159, 13, 17, 21, they did 12 to 15 reps with 30 to 60 seconds rest. That doesn't build strength. Like, you know, that. 12 to 15 reps with 30 to 60 seconds reps. So I had my niece do that. She can squat 200 pounds. And I had her, and it's full squats. And it's a two-second down, two-second up tempo. So you got to, you can't lift as much when you're actually controlling the tempo, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had her do the actual protocol with that much rest. And I, and I have to change the plates and I've got to be. So another reason, you know, it's fake is that they said there's like one trainer for every five lifters, but you can't, you have to have one-on-one here. Cause I got to be right there to change the plates. Cause they fail. It has to be two failure. Mm-hmm. They talk about where failure doesn't mean like, Oh, I can't do another rep. It means you actually fail. So they have to go down and then come up and they can't get it and they go to the racks and you have to curl the thing and put it back in the rack and then, and then adjust the, the plates. So if they're doing, so she started out with like, uh, she's, so my niece started out with, yeah, set one was 115 pounds and she got it for 14 reps. Then, you know, 30 to 60 seconds, rest, did 95 pounds for 11 reps on her second set. Then her third set, she did 65 pounds for 12 reps. Her fourth set, she just did the bar for 15 reps. The fifth set was the bar for 10 reps. And the sixth set, the bar for eight reps. And uh, she, she couldn't sleep on her stomach like, for like a five days. Her quads were so incredibly sore. Uh-huh. So it's just this weird, like, no, like, like Sebastian, you'd never use this protocol to build strength. It's like 12 to 15 reps with 30 to 60 seconds rest. And the next week you do four to six reps with three to four minutes rest. Then the next week you do 10 to 12 reps with one to two minutes. And then the next week you do six to eight reps with two to three minutes. Like who does, who even does this protocol? So you know that doing that protocol one day a week would not build out much strength. You'd need to squat them twice a week. But uh, anyway, the study is not to be taken seriously. And we do need a study looking at hypertrophy. All we have right now is EMG. And I believe this paper will be retracted in time. We, we only have an EMG study right now showing more EMG. Here's the thing people say, though, because all the people who wrote up the study, who wrote up reviews about the study, they were like, well, the squat clearly has more range of motion and it, and it puts more tension on the muscles. I don't believe it puts more tension on the muscles because I've, I study the glutes and the glutes activate more at end range compared to in the stretch. Not, other, not every muscle is like that. Only like the glutes and erectors are like that. Other muscles, like you get the greatest tension more mid-range. in mid-range. With glutes or mid-range or like a lengthened position, but with glutes, it's like the shortest possible. Now, through modeling, uh, 
biomechanists uh, I've worked with have said, you get the greatest tension in the glutes just with a very slight stretch. So when they're stretched deep, real down deep, you don't get the greatest amount of active tension. Um, so I think a hip thrust would be producing more tension. And as for range of motion, yes, the barbell squat moves the, you get more barbell displacement compared to hip thrust, but here's the deal. As far as active tension on the glutes, so with the squat, say you start at a very acute angle, you're deep down in hip flexion, you know, it's like with the squat, are we recording video here yeah. too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we go. Okay, so with the squat, maybe you go down to here, and this is where you, you know, you go to the parallel, and there's tension on the glutes, you come up, you come up, you come up, and about right here, you're kind of no tension. So it's from here to here. But here's the deal, with a hip thrust, maybe you start here, you come up, but then you keep going, and then you post your pelvic tilt, or you just keep going into hip hyperextension. Well, here's the thing, people have different levels of hip hyperextension mobility. In the literature, some people have 45 degrees. The average is like 20. If you have 45 degrees of hip hyperextension mobility, meaning you can go way past neutral, you don't use any of that in a squat. You're using a lot of that range in a hip thrust. So it just depends. We need to look at these things, but here's what any reasonable person would conclude. Why think about squat? I like comparing squats versus hip thrusts. I did that in my PhD. It's just intriguing. But every program I've ever written has both of them for glute development. Why wouldn't you want one exercise that works you in the lengthened position, one exercise that works the shortened position? I believe they're complementary. And hell, some people shouldn't squat that much. They just have the worst, you know, anthropometries for it. For uh, sure. Maybe they should do high box squats or something instead of, you know, squatting three days a week. And some people shouldn't deadlift as often. If they're, if they have pure physique goals, you can, I can usually find a good variation for them. But some people, I mean, some people don't like barbell hip thrusts. My point is we should learn all the exercises and then figure out what variations suit the person best for their goals and their anatomy. I totally agree and I appreciate your response to that. As I just said, for my sport, I'm training people for performance and people that want to get good at a squat. Uh, a large percentage of my work is actually skill acquisition and you know technique work on, on the specific movement. Um, but working with the females, working with uh, Felicia and Dinny, their business based body babes, it's definitely something that we've incorporated actually both. Um, the way that I consider it is like this. A deltoid raise, a lateral raise for a deltoid is an excellent builder, uh, but does it mean that you exclude a, a shoulder press? No, it doesn't. Why not have both? They absolutely complement each other, and we could use the same examples for all of the muscles. So I think that um, the problem is that misinterpretation of all of our audience will look at someone like you and say, you're a hip thruster, so you hate squats. And they look at someone like me and they say, you're a squatter, so you hate the hip thrust. So um, I'd, I'd like to clear that... Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's not how it goes. It's not how it goes. But I appreciate uh, your perspective on that. Thank you, Brett. If you were going to try to build someone's glutes maximally with squats, I don't know. How would you program for them? Would you say, I'm going to have them squat 
two days a week? Would you have them squat three days a week? Uh, it's like, would you have them do just a DUP approach? Uh, yeah, the, probably. The, the interesting thing is, you know, and it sounds like a cop out, but the answer is always it depends. And it's uh, different levels of strength might need. So, so let's just talk about the, the strongest person on the planet right now, Hafthor. Um, I can't have him doing multiple times per week because he's too strong and he needs a little bit more recovery. But I've had great results with some of my, my athletes like Dinny here. Um, her first squat program was a squat every day program program that we we based off a fella named John Bros. He was the coach of Pat Mendez, which was an amazing uh, American weightlifter. He was the strongest teenager in America. And he wrote out this squat every day program. And we tried it on people that weren't lifting as much. And it worked really, really well. We got Dinny from something like an 80 kilogram squat uh, to 140. So what's that? A plate, and a, a blue plate and a green, which is 80 kilos. I don't know how many pounds that is. Uh, to, to 300 and uh, 308 pounds as a 52 yeah. kilo girl like it was a really great result but if i got uh, someone really big and strong that's you know squatting over over 700 pounds to do that every day i don't i'm quite sure not only would we not see the same result but we'd even see a whole bunch of injuries and, and you know this is where uh, it's a case by case basis and you know you you mentioned before uh, the study that he he conducted 2 years before that saying that 5 sets is superior to 10 sets it's like well i've got my strongest athlete that periodize their, their reps and sets and, and tempos and, and intensities over a, you know however long the block is in preparation for a competition. And they may start with about 15 to 20 sets per body part. And then uh, as the weights get heavier, like Thor towards the end, he was doing uh, three total sets. One of them was heavy and two of them were really light per week for a deadlift. And that's because he's lifting weights that no other human has ever done. So, so it's a funny one. Like that's the thing that I don't like about the science. When I hear people say, oh, you know, five, rep, five sets is better than 10. It's like, well, well, you know, when? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I want some context behind that. God, I so agree with you. And that's why I, I get, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I'm a coach before I'm a, I'm a coach before I'm a, so scientist. The scientists are talking absolutes. And I, I, every time I hear something, I'm like, well, that would work from this client, but not for this client. If I tried that with this client, they, it would put him backwards. Mm. It's funny you mentioned John Bros. I went and visited him in 2009, and I wrote an article, Max Out on Squats Every Day. I wrote that article for T Nation back in the day. But right. you're absolutely right. And, and so with, with, uh, but with, with hip thrust, interestingly, so hip thrust, what I found in my PhD research was when people do squats, okay, you, you have more barbell displacement, but on the way down, you use only 10% less force than you do on the way up, meaning you've got to control that weight on the way down. You can't dive bomb the squat. Now, you can tell people, like, lower the hip thrust slowly under control, but they just kind of let it go. It's kind of like with a deadlift when you kind of let it go. You let gravity do it for you. So with the hip thrust, they were only using one-third of the force on the way down than on the way up which means that the hip thrust was a shorter overall range of motion, mostly concentric movement. Mm. The squat is a longer range of motion, eccentric and concentric movement. The squat stretches the glutes to a greater degree. It's going to cause more muscle damage. The hip thrust is not going to cause mu as much muscle damage. So, And it's systemically, it's not as hard either as a squat. Just sometimes you can, especially the deadlift is like that. You feel like you got hit by a, tra a train the next day. Sure. Whereas the hip thrust, a lot of these girls could hip thrust, you know, four, four or five days a week. So it's hard to kind of build a, think of a study protocol that come, that it's like, you know, if, if you do it two days a week, you're like, as a practitioner, I'm like, well, why would you only hip thrust two days a week? You could hip thrust these girls four days a week. So it's hard to compare the two. 
but in every reasonable person, in my opinion, when you would use both in their program, if glute, glute growth was the goal. Something we spoke about last year was if you want maximal glute development, should you do heavy, moderate, or light loads? Can we talk about this? So interesting. I've got like four studies up on my tabs right now that I'm planning on reading, but I, I really interested on um, like in the individual nature of muscle damage and recovery. And there's a lot of studies on this and it's, you know, what got me thinking about this was when Hattie Boydell came and visited me. I'm like, we, this was it when I lived in Phoenix, she, we trained glutes four straight days in a row and she did enough volume to kill a horse. And, you know, I'm like, how is this? She can just, she can handle so much, you know? And if I did that with some of my other clients, they would, you know, they would be sick. They would. Yeah. We spoke about that. The recovery gene. We said I had the recovery gene. Right? Yeah, there's, a <laughs> there's a lot of genes that are there and there's there, there's even they've done like studies on the genetics of rhabdomyolysis and things like this some people are just way more predisposed for muscle damage than others and so like i feel like me i can't do as much volume as other people because i get beat up i'm sore the next day other people are like i they never get sore and there's another study that just recently got published it was interesting they had one group do like more like less sets but to the, so what's cool is each each subject was their own control because say say i was one of the subjects my left leg i'm gonna do three sets of leg extensions to failure mm-hmm. but on my right leg i'm gonna do six sets of leg extensions but a few reps shy of failure some people saw better results going more high effort but less volume other people saw better results and they'd have one leg that clearly saw more results than the other leg which leads me to think that our programs need to be individualized, but how the hell would we know? <laughs> You're just guessing, but I think some people are kind of more volume people. They don't, they don't kind of go take every set to failure, but they thrive by more volume. Other people, you know, might thrive more through pushing the sets to failure, but doing a little bit less. We need to learn more about that over time. But it's, in general, I like training the glutes three days a week in general. Could you do it two days a week? Absolutely. Could you do it five days a week? Yes. Let's think about muscle damage. They get the biggest stretch and the most eccentric activity with things like squats and lunges, you know. So can you do heavy ass, like five sets of 10 squats followed by three sets of 10, or like three sets of 20 walking barbell lunges every day? Hell no. Can you do hip thrust? Can you do abduction? like band work and like cable out, like think about an abduction movement. You're standing when you do abduction, you never even go into a stretch. Like you're here and you go like this, this doesn't even go into a stretch right here. You're just in neutral and you move to a shortened position. So I, I believe that that, and that goes into my rule of thirds, which we can talk about later, but could you do five days a week? Yeah. I've had clients like, like, well, Natalia Mello back in the day, she won the second Miss Bikini Olympia. She's like Brett in Brazil. She's Brazilian. She's like in Brazil, Brett, we, we work glutes every day. We have like sections of the gym that are just for glute training, you know? And so, but they do a lot of ankle weight stuff, a lot of, a lot of variety, but you watch her train and she's not going to failure. She's really doing higher reps, really squeezing a lot of mind muscle connection. So I think if I had to just create a program for the masses, I would do three days a week. I would do, you know, around 12 sets, 12 sets a day, 
this kind of goes, should I go through my rule of thirds? Cause it's yeah, still right let's into definitely. it. Definitely. This is your um, philosophy for glute development, glute training. Well, the reason I thought of this is because if you talk to the researchers and all the literature, but I want to add this literature hasn't been conducted on glutes. We're taking the literature with like quads and pecs and other muscle groups and then applying it to the glutes. But there's been none looking at glute, none really looking at glutes except the Barbalo studies, which I don't trust at all. <laughs> but in general, the, the consensus is doing around 10 to 20 sets a week is optimal for muscle development or like 12 to 24 sets. That's optimal. So if you wanted to grow your biceps, you do 12 to 24 sets a week. You don't do more than that. And look at every female with the best glute development. I've trained half of them. You know, the bikini Olympians, the top 10, they do more than 12 to 24 sets a week of glutes. Mm -hmm. They all do. So it was a way of kind of trying to say, well, why? Why are they able to do way more sets for glutes? And first of all, the glutes are a unique muscle. They're the biggest muscle, but they do a lot of actions. They do hip extension, hip abduction, hip external rotation, posterior pelvic tilt, which is kind of hip hyperextension. It's kind of the same thing. And there's exercises that work you a lot in the stretch position, ones that work you in the shortened position. Um, like, so with hip extension exercise, there's vertical hip extension exercise, squats, lunges, deadlifts, good mornings. There's horizontal ones. These are your hip thrusts, your back extensions, your cable pull-throughs, your reverse hypers, your 45-degree hypers, your kickbacks. They work you more in the extended like in range position then you've got your abduction movements which you can do flexed or frontal like frontal plane or transverse plane flexed or straight up and these those you know those so transverse or frontal plane hip abduction those don't beat you up that much so if you were to do 12 sets a day three times a week so you do 36 total sets a week or even if you did four uh, 16 sets four times a week you'd be doing 48, 36 to 48 sets. You could get away with it if you follow the rule of thirds, meaning, so there's three parts to the rule of thirds. Think of three little circles with each with like a broken into thirds. Mm -hmm. So the first is vector, training vector. Like a third of your exercise should be vertical. These are your squats, lunges, etc. Another third should be horizontal in nature. These are your hip thrusts, glute bridges, you know, back extensions kickbacks, then the remaining third should be lateral or rotary. These are your abduction movements. And those work the upper glutes better, the glute medius and maybe the upper subdivision of the glute max. Mm -hmm. And the glute medius is a big muscle. That's that, you know, the glute max kind of comes like this and the glute medius is right there. They kind of help build that shelf. Now, the second component to the rule of thirds is around a third of your sets should be heavy, you know, for low reps. A third should be moderate for medium reps and a third should be light for higher reps. Mm -hmm. Whenever we do studies comparing like heavy weight versus lightweight for muscle growth, the heavy group always gains more strength. The, but the groups gain the same amount of muscle hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you can gain muscle through a variety of rep ranges, but here's the deal. The heavy group after 10 weeks, they're always like, tell the researchers like, I feel like I'm going to, if I go one more week, I'm going to injure myself. My yeah. joints are killing me. The high rep group, sometimes you get dropouts because they, they, they don't want to puke. Like They're like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. If you do a set of 30 to actual failure, you feel like puking. That's why I like a, lot, like a variety of rep ranges. You don't do all one, one range. And then the last component of the rule of thirds is this uh, effort. Like around a 30-year set should be two failure. 
but not all of them. If you did every set to actual failure, you'd be beat up too much. Another third should be around, you know, a couple reps shy of failure. And then the other third should be nowhere close to failure. And you'd say, like, think about doing band work. Mm -hmm. There was a central governor theory back in the day that this researcher postulated about running. You're running, you're running a marathon or something, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't run another, another, I have to stop. I, I'm, it's burning so bad, I can't do it. It's your brain. It's not your muscles failing. It's your brain. It's just too much for the brain. But if someone said to you, like, holy shit, there's a tiger behind you, run. That's the same, kind of similar with lateral band walks and things like that. Like, at, like when you use a band and do stuff like that, it burns like crazy. But if, if someone had a gun to your head, you could probably do 10 more. So you don't really take those to failure. So if you do it like that, you can probably do a lot more volume. And it's probably, I always think of like other muscle groups. Like we don't, people don't care. Like women care so much about glutes that I've gone into all this thought. And if you thought about deltoids, you could probably think the same way. But even with like pecs, you're like, apply the same logic to the pecs. Well, if you did a third of the exercise that work you in the stretch and then a third that work you like cable crossovers, just work you in a squeeze position. And then we figured out how to do like internal rotation movements or something. We don't do that because these movements tend to be good, but the girls want every last bit, every, they can squeeze out every last bit of hypertrophy they want. They want to isolate. They want to do every bit of movement, but it's interesting to think about if that applies to other muscles as well. But yeah, yeah that's so my theory. On, on to a few things that you just picked up, which I, I love hearing your, your thoughts on. There's so many ways of achieving great results. Obviously, um, you know, I've got a great way and then you hear someone that, that gets really strong or gets a very similar result to what I'm doing and they do it a completely different method. Something that I like to do is periodize intensities as I periodize uh, volume as well. And, um, you know, you're talking about doing uh, all different intensities and all different rep ranges and sets within the same training week. Um, am I right by saying you kind of do it all? Is that like an all-year-round thing that you'd follow the rule of threes where you're doing a, a heavy, medium, light uh, in a training week and you can continue that through the entire year? Okay. I've got a very interesting way of periodizing. I've never heard – I'm really glad to talk – I don't think I've ever talked about this on a podcast. Woo-hoo. So I've never um, – I, I, I want to like publish this because it's funny. My booty by Brett – I do this for my booty by Brett, right? So I just started out thinking the way this came to be, I start out thinking, okay, say I want to like, I mean, all right, chin-ups, they're so hard to go up on, you know, but if I ever want to really set a chin-up PR, I can, especially if you lose weight while you're at it. But if I just say, I'm going to start doing chin-ups three times a week, first in the workout. And I do that for like, you know, six weeks, I'm going to set a chin-up PR. The reason why I don't set many chin-up PRs is it's usually the third exercise I do. I'll do it once or twice a week. They, they're not my number one priority. I start getting, as I get older, it's getting harder and harder to set PRs in a squat, the deadlift. Like I, I, the most I've ever deadlifted is 620. I want to deadlift 635. That's like, you know, six plates and a 25 on each side. That's like the milestones I think about. <laughs> so if I want to do that, I've got to d- prioritize my deadlift, which means probably doing it first, but every lift has its own rules. And that's what fascinates me. It's like, if you wanted to prioritize your squat, well, you could probably squat hard three times a week, right? If you wanted to really build your deadlift, 
for most people, I like one really heavy deadlift, one really hard deadlift day week, and then one other day where you do like stiff legs or something else, but not, I don't have people do heavy deads two or three times a week. It's too much. But instead, my assistance lifts tend to be a little more like weighted 45-degree hypers, things that work the hamstrings more or something like that. Um, but then we could go on to what's their weak link because a lot of people, it's their quad, a lot of women, especially it's their quads inhibiting their deadlift because they turn it into a stiff leg. But I digress. Here's what I do for booty bar Brett. And I, and I actually think it works really, really well. And my whole concept, the other thing that made me think about this, I started reading the literature on strength maintenance and I was like, holy crap, these people can do like two sets a week and maintain their strength on a lift. You don't, so I started experimenting with some of my clients and I'd have them like, I do like a, I just have them do one set of bench press or one set of squats or one set of deadlifts a week. They do other things, but I just wanted to see the next month I'd have them max out and they gain, they retain their strength. And wow, as long as you're doing other things, it's kind of easy to maintain. So the way I thought about it, I love powerlifting. Love it. I love the squat, the bench press and the deadlift. Here's the deal though. I also love the hip thrust, the chin up, the military press, so those, I just named six lifts. So this is kind of funny because I'm talking about balls, but imagine you got six <laughs> balls, okay? I've got six balls and I'm trying to juggle them. But every time I gain strength, it, the ball grows. So your goal is to have six big, huge balls, right? But you're juggling them. It gets harder <laughs> I can't harder. take you seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to drop a ball. Like you're going to like, you can't keep doing it. They get bigger and you're like, oh, and they fall out. So it's a better strategy to say, I'm going to focus on two balls. I'm going to put four <laughs> balls right here on this table and pick two. These go on maintenance. I'm going to take these two balls, focus on them. I mean, just in powerlifting, how much easier would it be if you just had the squat and the bench? The deadlift interferes with the squat. So it's like sometimes I'm like, God, I want to build my squat, but then I deadlift my low back sore. It makes my, you know, it's... Even just with three lifts, it's hard. So I'll typically pick one lower body lift and one upper body lift, and that's what we focus on. I am always doing all six of those lifts I mentioned. Every program has, every week you're going to do some squats, some deadlifts, some hip thrusts, some bench press, some military press, some chin-ups, some single leg work, you know, some rows, but it, it all the ingredients shuffle. So, we, so here's how I do it. Month one is a well-rounded month. Okay, so Monday you're, or day one, say it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, day one, two, and three. Monday you squat, Wednesday you hip thrust, Friday you deadlift. You also might do stiff legs on your squat day. You might do, on your deadlift day, you might do like reverse lunges or something. You're still going to do more lifts, but that's what you do first. That's a well-rounded month where you're trying to, and then maybe your upper body lifts are like bench press on Monday, chin-ups on Wednesday, military press on Friday. Okay. You're not focusing on any lift. That's month one. Month two, now you're focusing on the squat and the military press. Okay. So we're going to squat first. All right. Then month, then, and then squat and military press first and everything else is more maintenance. Then the next month is, and I do this sequentially because after the squat month, your knees could, could use a rest. So the next month is hip thrust. It's hip thrust and chin-ups. So we work hard on the hip thrust and the chin-up. Then you're feeling good again. The next month, it's deadlifts and, and bench press. You still squat, but you deadlift first. Um, 
like, and then, and then I, I'll, I'll do like, say, say Monday is deadlifts, like whatever you, whether you do conventional or sumo or semi sumo, whatever trap bar, if you want, but you're going to pick a, de- a heavy deadlift. And then maybe Wednesday is dumbbell 45 degree hyper and like a single leg movement. And then like Friday might be stiff leg deadlifts and, um, you know, maybe squats or something, but that you're doing them first in the first in the workout. So it sees the best results. And then after deadlifts, your low back is pretty beat up. So the next month it's a single leg and dumbbell focus. You, I still sprinkle in some barbell and bilateral lifts, but it's a lot of focus on single leg and dumbbells just to give your body a little bit of a break. And then the cycle repeats. And I really think it works well, especially for people run. My people don't get hurt much. It's really good for injury prevention because you're not focusing on the big three every single month. And that's one thing I trained at a powerlifting gym in Tempe, Arizona for uh, a couple years. These guys were so strong, you know, guys in the 198 pound class pulling 730, 750, stuff like that. But one thing I noticed, they get, they get too strong for their bodies. You know, I remember they were competing at Dan Green's powerlifting event. I was there the, the week before and one's like I'm just worried I'm going to tear my pec off the bone and the other's like that's how I feel about my hamstring I'm worried I'm going to tear it complete off the bone and I'm like Jesus this is you're really pushing the envelope here with powerlifting so I like I like all six of the lifts I mentioned I think that's a good way to so you're always doing all the lifts but some you're only focusing on really gaining strength so then it's like the goal is to elevate these two lifts this month, then put those on maintenance. And so over the course of a whole year, you're building up on all of them. Do you gain its strength as fast on any one lift? No, but it leads to longer sustained progress over the long run. It's an interesting way to periodize, which I've never really seen anyone do it that way. We, you study periodization. It just talks about volume and intensity. It doesn't talk about rotating the lifts that you focus on. Yeah, I, I've got, I mean, as you're talking, everything resonates with me with what you're discussing. And the best example of that is is what just happened. It's the most recent event. And uh, that is Hafthor doing a 501 kilogram deadlift. Um, previous to this, he was prioritizing six different events for like the Arnold's or the World's Strongest Man. There might be 10 different events. And how do you focus on training 10 things at one time? And, and how do you get a 501 kilogram deadlift while this is happening as well? For me, there was um, no surprise that he was able to get a 501 501 kilogram deadlift when he had no other exercises that he needed to focus on. So, so I absolutely and wholeheartedly agree that you know the more things you try and uh, add to the equation, the bigger all of your balls get, and, and the, ha- the harder it is to juggle all of them. So, so I, I love those points uh, with it. So, so the bottom line is a lot of the. Uh, it's something that I always hear so much about with the studies, and people are talking about this is the way to you. You've got to do it. You've got to, you know, five to ten sets is better. And it's like, okay, better than what? Uh, You know, then it's the the, uh, minimum effective dose versus maximum recoverable volume. And, and, you know, and you you should be, you know, working as hard as possible. And it's like, well... Um, if you like how you said there was a study that did uh, the heavyweights and after 10 weeks they were sick and tired of lifting heavy um, it's like well that's because they're trying to lift heavy all year round and, and, and I think that that's a really good message for all of our audiences you can't do everything at once you can't beat your body up all year round something's got to give recovery is equally as, as important as working hard and there is a time and place for all of it so I really love those messages there Brent can we just go back to talking about the glutes before we go on to some business talk. So we 
for our base body babes, so we specialize in training women as well. And we've recently, not recently, maybe the last couple of years, introduced glute activation routines for our girls prior to all of their sessions. We just want to know your opinion. What's the current research in terms of um, glute activation being effective? Okay, so uh, there's probably like, God, I've got a, I've got them all categorized. There's about six studies looking at it. It's, uh, you know, equivocal, like some studies showing it works well, other studies not. But, and there's one study using TMG. It's like this uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS, TMS. Yeah, they put some thing, like some like halo thing on your head and measure the, the areas of like brain activation, like, like cortical regions. And they showed, it's funny, they had people put a band around their knees. They got on all fours and did like a, like a hip extension, hip abduction, hip ex, like they, they basically got on all fours with a band. And imagine having to do, imagine being a participant in this study. They had to do this for 20 minutes a day, three times a week. So they were like, it was like on all fours, like this, with a band going out and back and twisting. So you held, you tried to hold that off and on for 20 minutes, three times a day. So, so for a total of for, for, for those who have audio only, he just got in a position <laughs> that a dog would do to take a pee. Yeah. Is that accurate? Uh, that is so accurate. Uh, that's why it's called a fire hydrant. That kind of fire hydrant, like a dog pees on a fire hydrant. That's the exercise. But you got a band on you, kind of trying to do, they wanted isometric because they believed that you focus harder on isometrics. So they wanted to see, so it was a one week long study and they showed that just in one week of doing these glute activation, you had increased like activation in the brain and also decreased inhibitory signals or something. So that to me was the best piece of evidence in favor of glute activation. Now here's the problem. Uh, half of our, it's like, you've got like, it's a funny world we live in. It's like probably two thirds of the world needs to exercise more. Like they're sedentary and you know, mm -hmm. we've got all these, overweight and unhealthy people out there, they need to exercise. And then there's a, a portion that we work with where like half of the people we work with are actually psychos, like they're exercise addicts and they do too much. So these are the people that like before they squat, they're doing 62 sets of glute activation to failure. And it's like, that's not the point. You, you don't fatigue yourself. You're not going to have Thor be doing like band lateral band walks to failure. You want, you know, so I don't do as much glute activation as other people do. Yeah, that 20 minutes is, I think our glute activation takes us a, a maximum of about a minute to say 20 minutes per day. So, something that we say a lot of is stimulate, not, not annihilate. annihilate. Mm. Yeah, yep, I use that too. So, so anyway, I think that we're hitting all, we're covering all the different movements from a strength perspective. So, but here's the deal. When I worked out at the powerlifting gym for a couple of years, these guys would do, they just, you know, they'd be like, Brett, if I do some band hip thrusts, kind of like light for 20 reps, my hips don't hurt when I squat. Or they'll be doing their lateral band walks, and it, it, a lot of them would take 30 minutes to warm up. These guys are upper level, upper level people. What are you going to do, criticize their warm-up routine? It takes a while. The stronger you get, it takes you a while, your routine, to get into the mix. My girls can seriously walk right in and, like, start lifting heavy. Like, I don't know. I would, I would crumble if I did that like I got to warm up gradually but I think most of my women I have them do like a couple sets of light goblet squats a couple sets of reverse lunges and maybe they do some lateral band but it's a few minutes and then a ready roll yeah as is very minimal as well just a, a minute or two max is it female only where you are 
at your at your gym? I have like one dude that comes and trains regularly, <laughs> but <laughs> does he come in for himself or does he come because it's a gym full of chicks? It's funny. I, I always <laughs> you you question that one as well. <laughs> but he's friends with all of them. He like knows all of them, and he's really cool. But the problem is, uh, it, it, the men. Uh, I mean, if I had like ten strong dudes in here, you'd need for some of these movements, you need. 500, 600 pounds. You'd need so many 45 pound plates if I had a bunch of dudes in here. Also, they sweat so bad. These, we sweat, you know, dripping sweat everywhere. Don't worry, we don't like guys in our gym either. For sure, that's why we created our female only space because no chick wants to work out with big hairy men like you guys. Um, but what is your, who is your main clientele? Females? Are they all bikini and, models? Are they general population? Like, obviously. Also, uh, it's funny because when I moved to San Diego, I, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I just started to, I mean, my first two clients were this Brianna and Massa and they were competitors, but these big, huge butts. And then they start tagging me. And then every bikini competitor in the city wanted to train with me. So all of a sudden I'm training like 50 bikini competitors. And then I'm getting inquiries from all over the world. That's where I really blew up in popularity. I just mm. started working with so many bikini competitors and then I start missing. So it's like, like, uh, I have this client Jade and she's so, she's got this amazing, amazing butt and she gets so strong and she's very strong. And you know, she, I get to where she's deadlifting like two twenty. she's like weighs like a hundred and you know, say she weighs 125 or a hundred, something like that. And she starts deadlifting, you know, 225 for sets of 10. And all of a sudden her coach freaks out and she's like, your butt is getting way too big. Um, this is not, you know, you're going to be penalized for it. Really? And, and she knows more than I do about the, because she goes to all the events. and they, they The judging criteria. I defer to, you know, I, I, I defer to her coach, but I'm like, shit, I can't even do my thing. Like, I, like to me, there's no such thing as too big of glutes. Like, You've had that problem training the fitness models as well, Bass. It, but different body parts because different obviously parts, I'm using yeah. different exercises. But I wouldn't have expected it that way with the glutes. But mm. for, for me, when I get girls squatting and deadlifting heavy, they're definitely building things that are not as desirable, such as thicker rectus spinae and bigger quads. And it's a real pain in the butt for me because exactly what you said, I can't do what I do, man. <laughs> <laughs> like how do, how do these erectors get too big, yeah. you know? And it sucks because she could be so strong at the deadlift if she could train it, you know? Yeah. I'm always like, Hattie, why don't you just do like three singles with deadlifts, like three sumo deadlifts, three singles are like, but you know, she can get too like her erectors can get too big. So I, I do think that, uh, it, 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 so I miss what I did. I started missing training just like people to train for strength. So now I've got some girls that are really well-rounded and it's really cool. And I, I, they're like, I've got a, my client, Ashley, she, she just pulled 385. And uh, she weighs one like 150, and so she's about to pull 405 soon, four plates. You know, it's I love testing my th theories, like looking at uh, she'll she'll pull sumo, but her hips shoot up, and she almost stiff legs or sumo. She doesn't round, she keeps that arch, but her hips shoot up. So I have her doing every other week. I have her doing super upright sumo deadlifts, where she's super super upright. She has to go down to she, her first week doing those. They felt so weird for her, and she was so weak in her quads. She's doing sets of sets of three with 275, you know, three by three 
with 275. Well, now she's up to doing three by three with 315, but it's building her. Then when I have her max out, I just go, don't worry about form. Let your hips shoot up if you need to. We just want to get that weight and building it. I bet you she'll get four plates soon. It's kind of fun for me to train. It's more fun training people for strength when you, <laughs> you know, instead of training hence, these. Hence what I do. Yeah. The aesthetics game for me, it's it's too much of a pain in the butt, especially dealing with, with a lot of women. Um, you know, We're annoying. They get, they get a little bit more emotional about it. I can't, I don't know what to, I get awkward when girls cry in the gym. He's like, non-emotional do I, do I, and he's do not I, very. Do I pat him on the back here? Sympathetic. Or I, don't, I don't know what to do. So I just stick to strength. I don't know how I ended up working with all these women because I'm like, <laughs> Um, well, you've obviously done something right because you are an absolute pioneer in that space. So it's awesome to see. Um, just in terms of the glute lab, so that's your gym where you, you are at right now. Is it? Um, so what would someone walking into the gym expect from training there? Is it? Are there classes? Is it a systemized approach? Is it customized programming? Okay, what I'm after is the knowledge. So I don't care about making money from my gym. I don't even charge anyone here. <laughs> Dory, okay. neither do we really. Yeah, and in, in this we. one, we don't. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, in this yeah. Uh, base gym here, no. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, I don't charge anyone. I just, I, 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 I want them to, uh, I want the knowledge. I want to work with tons of people and I want to work with high level people. And the, the athletes don't always have a lot of money and stuff. So, uh, but I, that way I don't have to feel guilty too if I'm not, you know, <laughs> but you start out just, it start out just my, my, this gym to, in California, things take longer than other States like that have, and, and they, we didn't get my, I didn't get my business permit for like an extra month or two after I thought I would. So I started training them for free and then I got my license here and I'm like, I don't want any of them to stop training with me. I, I know it's expensive out here in San Diego. So I was like, ah, I'll just won't charge them. So then, um, as time went on, I said, this is nice to have this studio here because I mean, I do all my, you know, my Instagram stuff, my videos, my testing, I create products, I test them, I have the, it's just a testing grounds. So people always like, <laughs> people go, like, they, they think that I don't, you know, they'll be like, Brent, I know you're probably hurting during the quarantine here, you're probably like, they think because I can't train anyone, I wouldn't make any money. But if you think about it, what can you make as a personal trainer? You know, I have friends that train celebrities in LA and they can charge 250 bucks an hour. That's like the going rate out there. Like, I don't think I could charge 250 here in San Diego. People would be like 250 bucks an hour, but yeah, you can only make a couple hundred bucks an hour. Uh, sounds like crazy that I would even say this, but I, you can make way more money online exactly. if you have a following. Yeah, uh, and so it's uh, it's I don't want to I don't want to be the guy that's like I charge I'm two hundred dollars and like uh, and I also one on one training bores the heck out of me. <laughs> it's just so boring. I like training, you know, six, ten, fifteen, twenty people at a time, and that's what I prefer doing. And I just love working with a large variety of people. And I miss training with men too. Like uh, the men don't they they like women get bombarded all day long with different messages. It's like, you know, they're being targeted by like this builds long lean muscles or like this, like, you know what I mean? So they're always doubting. It's like, or they'll, they're, you know, women's bodies fluctuate and they have a bad glute day or like a bad, you know, a bloated day. And then they start doubting the whole process and you got to reassure them a lot. Like, men know that weight training, you don't have to sell men on weight training and getting strong and progressive overload, yeah. you know? 
we just know from like the age of 15 when we start lifting weights that if we want nice pecs, we got to bench press a few plates for reps, you know? Like, yeah. I was going to say, obviously, you're a huge influence um, in the fitness industry and you've inspired many women, thousands of women, millions of women around the world with your work. Um, was there a point in your career? So when you, was it social media first? Was it um, a bikini model on stage first? Like what kind of launched that growth online for you? So when I started out, it was funny. I was just coming off being a high school math teacher making like 30 grand a year. So I said, I'm going to start blogging. I'm going to start social media. I don't need a lot to survive. So I start blogging like four times a week. I'm sure you're like week. the most published fitness expert out there. You've written so much. Well, that's, I mean, I was a, a workhorse and, yeah. and I look back, I, I, I always put in long hours and you can only sustain that if you love your field. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so lucky to have found stuff we're passionate about because most people just go, they, they look at work like they clock in clock out they can't wait to go home for the weekend and be done with it and i uh, even on like i don't have off days i i train people every single day i lift almost every day i read stuff every day i i, I some days more than others but it's not torture for me i'm so curious about it. it's, what, it's what i'd be doing if i had if i won the lottery and had, you know, a hundred million dollars in the bank, I would still be doing this. So, um, so start off, I was just blogging and then doing social media, but here's the funny thing. My twin, I have an identical twin brother and he's like, you need to go on Instagram. I'm like, Joel, I'm a businessman. I'm not trying to. <laughs> that was him too. Yeah. And I was so anti Instagram and Joel's like, trust me, it's the way of the future. And I'm like, how you can't link out. Like I, on Facebook, Twitter, you post links to your blog, to your whatever, you launch a new product, a new thing, like here's my new ebook or something. You can't do that on Instagram. And he's like, just trust me, it's the wave of the future. And around that time, I was so pissed because Facebook changed their algorithms. And it's like, I worked hard for like five years on Facebook. I think I had like 110,000 followers back then on Facebook. And all of a sudden I went from like, it was always the same too. I'd, I'd film a YouTube video, embedded in my blog, write a blog, uh, use a thumbnail for the blog, publish the blog, post that on Facebook and Twitter, and then send out a newsletter. (laughs) It was like, that was the process for so many years and it worked well. Then all of a sudden Facebook changed their algorithms and I go from getting like 2000 likes and 500 shares to getting 500 likes and 30 shares. And I'm like, this is stupid. It, it took away my power. Like I always had power as a scientific guy. If I wanted to, so, someone was spreading pseudoscience and I wanted to do something, but I could, I could leave me, leave the algorithms out of it and I could go viral. But it was so frustrating to me. So I just, I, I, I was the first guy I think to just, I actually just quit. I quit Facebook. <laughs> I quit Twitter. I quit YouTube. I put all my eggs in the in, in the Instagram basket. We've pretty much done that as well, to yeah. be honest. And and then I had all the marketers back then. They were like, Instagram doesn't mean anything. And I'm going, how would you know? You don't have a lot of Instagram followers. And they're all about the email marketing and the newsletters. And I'm never going to be the type of guy that like, these guys are crazy with their newsletter marketing. There's like, you can do split test, testing. I'm never going to write two different newsletters and test them and see which one does better. I don't care about... Thing, making money to that extent. So yeah. uh, 
I just send out a newsletter like once a month. That's like, here's some new stuff. Here's some links have at it. But I realized, oh, this is crazy. I'll, I'll put something on my Instagram, especially when stories came around, you can swipe up and I'll put something on my Instagram, my, my feed and my stories. And I would make, and then I'd also send it out to my newsletter, but I'd make like five times more money from Instagram than my newsletter list. And my newsletter list, I think is like 140,000 right now but I have like almost a million followers on Instagram right now. And I think around like 50,000 people look at my stories. So wow, that's amazing. That's insane. So I guess the take home point there is to be consistent with your um, content. And obviously you are always producing really great quality content. So it's definitely worked. But I think the turning point was, was like with, 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 with my followers, you know, for a while I didn't really, if you look back, you can kind of scroll back at the evolution of my Instagram. And it used to be just my workouts. I'd film my workout at night and post my workout. And then I'd like repost an infographic someone else did or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't put my thought into it. But I, have, I actually have my master's degree in education, secondary ed, like curriculum instruction. Once I started focusing on that, I'm a born teacher. I like educating people. When I start focusing on educating people, don't make it about me. I mean, it would be if I were Thor or just some Greek god, but I'm not. A very 43-year-old dude that, you know, like I'm not some Greek god. I, and people don't follow me for my crazy strength or physique. They follow me for my knowledge. And I start helping other people. That's when, when I start doing infographics, when I start making it more about educating and then also coming out to San Diego. And all it's funny because – all my colleagues were like, you don't charge people. You need to respect yourself, Brett. You need yeah, to respect. We've, we've heard that. <laughs> and I'm going, these people don't get it. I don't have to pay any of these girls and they're tagging me like crazy. And then I share it. So we build each other up. Yeah, exactly. We've got, we're all building each other up. We're all sharing each other and reposting. They, they gained some of my followers. I gained some of their followers, but it gives me social proof. When this girl's giving me a big hug saying, I love my coach. It makes me more relatable, you know? And so I just saw it as a win-win. And, and then I gained the knowledge from training them. And so my followers start going up and up and up. And then I was talking to my friend Carrie and she's like, Brett, you're the world's glute expert. and You don't have a flagship glute program. I'm like, yeah, I do. I have strong by Brett. She's like, that sounds like powerlifting. People don't want a powerlifting program from you. And I'm like, well, I do have booty by Brett trademarked i've just never used it she's like change it to booty by brett and actually promote it i filmed a video and i actually posted it <laughs> i went from 800 subscribers to like 2200 like in like a couple weeks then that just kept growing and growing and now i think i have like you know my the peak before uh the the, the quarantine some people dropped out but it was at 65.50 paying me 30 bucks every four four weeks um, just before we wrap up, we would we always like to give our girls some tips to take away with them. Um, now that we're all in quarantine, Australia is actually quite strict at the moment. There's really heavy restrictions and we train a lot of women from home um, and we have bodyweight programs ourselves. But is there any particular exercises that you love and do you think that we can maintain muscle mass in the glutes while training from home? Or even gain. Or, or even gain, and what about strength as well? What are your favorite exercises? Frequency. So, yeah. so okay, during this quarantine period, it's been interesting because I've had some girls comment on my like 
Rudy by my Facebook page, they're like, I feel like I've my glutes have gotten bigger. It just works for them. Mm-hmm. But then I start doing a lot of research, and I'm like, who who are the like most jacked guys that just use body weight? Like these gymnasts. And I thought there's all these jacked, shredded gymnasts out there, and I start looking at their physiques, and they're actually not as impressive as I thought. <laughs> male bodybuilders, you know what I mean? Even the natural bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. So kind of in theory you can gain just as much muscle from high reps but you got to progress things like don't just do get to where you're doing 50 push-ups work on doing like self-assisted one-arm push-ups where you're you're doing sets of 10 that are hard you know what i mean handstand push-ups from a deficit where it's really challenging see people don't they just stick to the don't just do hip thrusts. Do partner hip thrusts where you have your, your man. I saw you doing that on your... So, yeah, what are some progressions for the glute bridge slash hip thruster at home? Well, okay, so... Single leg. It's hard. The single leg is probably the hardest if you don't have a partner. And, and, and like knee banded where you really push out against the bands, but that's abduction with hip extension. So... It's kind of hard, like, so then I'll start doing, like, but I don't like confusing people. On my page, I've been posting, like, do 15 single leg right into 15, uh, uh, like, like come up, two, up with two legs, and then down with one leg, up with two legs, so it's eccentric, and then into B stance, so it's, like, your glutes burning like crazy, but that's more of, like, a circuit. It's, like, where do you do progressive overload? So that's why I say get to where you're doing pistol squats. Take the time. Now is a good time to get you know, work on pistols, work on single leg stuff, work on this. But I don't think you can build as much muscle without the barbell, without dumbbells, without free weights. But I do think you can use an intelligent training program and, and maintain a lot of it or at least gain, build like, say, 85% of it. you got to experiment to find what exercise works well for you. I know for me, there are a lot of people who don't like frog pumps. I Frog pumps hit my glutes so hard. Mm. I do yeah, high I reps. I feel that too. When I came to see you, Brett, you were doing some research on the B stance. How'd you go with that? Yeah, still having a, I love getting the data and I look at it and then I don't publish it. But Mm -hmm. um, some interesting stuff. I need to like summarize it, but uh, it's different for the different lifts. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and, uh, and like, like with hip thrust, people use that assistance leg more than you think, especially at the top. And it's kind of for balance. It's like, in theory, we say with the B stance, you're using 70% on one leg, 30% on the, on the other for stability. But as you go heavier and heavier, you start using that support leg more and more. Mm-hmm. And then with the different lifts, it and some people use it more than others. So you see people hip thrusting like 315 B stance. They're using both legs. It's more like, like an, it's more like an asymmetrical double leg. <laughs> like you really got to focus hard to only use that for balance, you yeah. know? Well, when you've done some more research, we'll come back to you. <laughs> so we're going to wrap it up now. You mentioned before on your Instagram, you're about to hit 1 million followers, 996,000. That's amazing. Congratulations. So good. So, so cool. So you're obviously doing lots of great things that people want to see. Um, do you want to just tell us what does the rest of 2020 hold for the glute guy? Uh, you know, I, I, I wrote Glute Lab and, you know, had every, like, the Glue Lab, the book, is 606 pages. But I, I wrote about every single squat, single leg squat, deadlift, hip thrust, like, every exercise there was. 
And I really went in depth. They let me include everything. I got to include half the stuff I've talked about today. They let me include that in on there and training around injury, diet stuff, like macros, all that stuff. It's a really comprehensive book. That took me two years of my life and it almost killed me. So, uh, <laughs> and that's available to purchase now? Yeah. It's, that's out there, uh, Amazon. Uh, but I, I, I worked so hard on that. I'm like, my goal now is to don't screw. I have this habit of once my life gets good, I then screw it up by taking on too much. <laughs> don't so do not, that. Do not accept anything. Don't, don't take on any new projects. Just enjoy what you have. And I could, you know, don't, don't get too overwhelmed. So that's my goal right now is to not get too overwhelmed. And what a crazy time we're in too right now with the coronavirus. Exactly. So it's a good time to take a step know. back and chill out a little bit. I don't know when the gyms are going to reopen and how everything's going to look, but, uh, you know, also my lease ends in October I, here and I want a bigger gym. Uh, this is 1800 square feet. I want 5,000 square foot. I miss having a equipment for me. Like I, I want a leg extension. I want a leg curl machine. I want the, the lateral raise machines. I love those. I want the free, the free motion dual, you know, what tool train. I miss these things and I don't have room for You're it. You're so, you know? so selfish. <laughs> well, I think you got to be sometimes. No, that's okay. Yeah. We're exactly the same. We built this place just for us as well. So we get you. Look, I wasn't planning on building a gym here. I just thought I'd train at all these. I'd just get a bunch of memberships. And I went to all of them and I was underwhelmed. And I'm like, God, I don't like training all of them. Also with Instagram, I'd be having to shoulder tap people and be like, hey, bro, you mind filming this? And they never keep it here. They always aim it at <laughs> And then there's the person in the background doing one arm rows, like with the worst, like, like, you need your own space. Definitely need your own space. On the note of Instagram, is that the best place for people to find you? And if it is, what is, what are your handles? Where can people find you? At Brett Contreras one, I think you can type in like glue guy and it comes up. Uh, if you don't remember Brett Contreras, but, uh, uh, at Brett Contreras was taken by some dude that's posted like twice. I wish I could override oh, him. Oh, how be like, annoying. You, know, you, don't post, you don't get the handle, but I had to do Brett Contreras one. One. And and I then, wonder how many times he's got tagged as like, like for glutes and he's going, what is this guy obsessed with glutes? <laughs> all of our link tree and like you can walk the link tree, you can subscribe to the newsletter and find all my other stuff. Yeah, you've got lots of articles, lots of great things to educate yourselves on and lots of products and the book, The Glute Lab. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is late in the afternoon there in San Diego. We are about to start our day here, but I'm very inspired to go train my glutes right now. Man, I I really (laughs) appreciate that chat that we had with you. It was great. This is the first time that I ever met you. Me too. It was great to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. And you know, you guys are in Sydney, right? Yeah, I'll yeah. visit Sydney. I would love to come work out with you guys. And if you yeah. guys are ever in and Sydney. And vice versa, 100%. We, we would love to come and do a session there with you. We'll be heading to the States as soon as they open the borders. So when they do that, we will make sure we make a trip to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll talk soon.